I'm cutting off the intro. I'm tired of the intro. The intro is evil. The intro needs to be redone. <laughs> yeah, intro evil. Just remember that. Uh, you know, you can ascribe evil to that like you can ascribe evil to the Biden administration or uh, Klaus Schwab or Yuval Harari. Um, you know, all those schmucks. Uh yeah, evil, 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 evil. Anyway, uh, and if you don't know that by now, I don't know. Maybe I just informed you and you'll know it from now on. So that'd be great. Oh, boy, where do we start? My goodness. Okay. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, the green energy scam. Well, part of it. it. It's so vast and wide. You know, how do you how do you fit the whole thing? And I got to start streaming to, I always forget to do this. Okay, here we go. All right. So yeah, tonight we're going to talk about the green, uh, the green deal. I think some people call it, um, the new green law. Um, okay. No important messages coming across yet. Um, Everybody's waiting for uh, Trump to take over and get rid of that clown in the White House. I don't know why it's taking so long. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, the minute he does it, I don't drink. And I'll go get a bottle of wine and sit down with my wife, and we'll just uh, we'll enjoy it. <laughs> no, I really don't need beep. I don't like it. I'll smoke a cigar from time to time, but I don't need beep. Okay. <clears throat> so I jotted down a few ideas, like two pages of ideas and um, something that I ran across, I ran across a guy the other day um, online and he came out with a very profound statement. Okay. Clean energy can run things, but it cannot make things. Clean energy is dangerous. Okay. Uh, and also, did you know that clean energy stations emit harmful radiation? But you didn't know that the charging stations. Yeah, go there with a Geiger counter the next time if you got one, and uh, you know check it out because uh, don't stand there too long because they throw out tons and tons of energy. Okay, but anyway, clean energy can run things but cannot make things, and it makes so much sense. Now, there's a caveat there because it can make electricity. Okay, so it does make something, but the electricity it makes is subpar. It's it's minute. And it doesn't contribute much to anything, okay? Um, when I was down in California, um, I used to, when I was dating somebody down in the Bay Area, I used to come back on 580 through the Altamont Pass. And, boy, you talk about windmills. There's about probably about 1,500 windmills up in that area. And, um, and they're constantly going. And I always wondered why when the wind was blowing like at 30, 40 miles an hour, because it does through there through the pass, why the windmills aren't going faster. I, and I realized and I found out uh, just the other day, actually, that they only go a certain speed. They, they have governors on them. And if the governors fail, then the windmills fail. And we're going to watch a video in a little while, and you get to see some windmills fail. And it's, it's, it's a hilarious sight to watch. 
And it's, uh, it's, you see that you, you want to look at the green people and go in your face, in your face. Um, so anyway, uh, that we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about solar uh, panels, which is a crock of, uh, you know what? And um, let's see. All right. Currently, the charging stations are powered by oil and coal-fired uh, generating plants, which is true. Uh, on so, in some cases, they're like maybe here in Oregon, they're uh, it's uh, hydroelectric that uh, we have a lot of hydroelectric here. I mean, it rains forever when it rains, and um, so you know we got plenty of that. Uh, thank God Governor Brown's out of office. She wanted to take down about six or seven of the hydroelectric dams for the salmon the poor salmon who have been doing wonderfully with all those dams there. They have step ladders or uh, fish ladders next to the dams and they climb them. No problem. But uh, it's always the white liberals <laughs> that want to fix everything for everybody and things that don't need fixing. Okay. So anyway, uh, let's see powered by oil and, and diesel power plants. Uh, the current infrastructure, by the way, cannot support the charging stations, you charging at home if you have an electric car. Um, and they want everything to go electric, electric stoves, electric water heaters, um, everything electric. And like some things you can't get away with, all dishwashers are electric, right? Uh, um, all, uh, well, a lot of ovens. I would prefer to have a gas oven, but we don't have that, that luxury here. So we have uh, gas for just, or electric for just about everything. And um, I don't know. Sometimes I think uh, gas is a little cheaper than electric, and it's a much cleaner, um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and more even heat on the bottom of the pan. And uh, we have induction uh, on our stove, so, uh, you know, that works pretty good. But people that have the old coils and stuff like that, those things uh, don't work very well anymore. Okay. Now, California, in its infinite stupidity, that governor ought to be, uh, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to get arrested, but um, <clears throat> he's a moron. <laughs> That's all there is to it. So he wants the whole state to switch over to electric power, okay? Everybody's got to buy electric stoves, electric this, electric that, get rid of anything gas, and go electric. And then not a week later, he comes out and asks people with electric cars, hey, we're having a hard time keeping the infrastructure going. Please don't charge your cars during peak hours. And I'm going like this. Okay, so if you can't do it now and you want everybody to switch over to electric and you're not doing anything to fix the infrastructure, it's moot. It ain't going to work. You're going to be tripping breakers, and I'm talking big breakers everywhere, and you're going to have power outages and brownouts and the whole nine yards. Um, we have power outages here all the time, but it's always because some drunk hits a telephone pole or, you know, we're out in the country, so we have a lot of uh, rednecks, and that's not bad because I, I am an honorary redneck from New Jersey, Burton County, New Jersey, that is. And um, so, uh, you know, the stupidity, liberals, I, I, I don't understand the moronic stupidity. I just don't. It's like they can't look ahead and see the problems that they're creating down the road when they do something right now. Okay, and, oh, man, I'm telling you. 
my blood pressure's probably gone up a few points already. Now, solar panels, um, they're, uh, they are endangered by environmental factors. Okay, it's hard for me to read my own writing sometimes. Um, let's see, for instance, well, let's just say, because out here in the West, we have a lot of sun, especially down in the Southwest. Um, and up in uh, Montana and stuff like that in the summertime, there's lots of sun. Um, even into the wintertime, Montana is not as uh, cold and stuff as people think it is. But anyway, uh, lots of solar panels all over that place. Now, what if Yellowstone were to pop its cork and spew ash all over the place? That ash is going to, they said that ash is going to go north, east, west, and south. Okay. So if it does that and it gets on the solar panels, are they going to produce energy? No, they're not. What's going to happen too is is ash is very scratchy. It's um, it's porous and it's scratchy, and you try to wipe that stuff off those uh, photovoltaic cells, and it's going to scratch them all up, and it could cause them to break because they have like a um, a quartz or a glass lining on top of it, and it's tempered, and a lot of times that fails. And we'll we'll, we'll look at solar panels failing too. It's it's glorious. Um, okay, so that, was, that thing would block out sunlight. A lack of wind destroys the chance of uh, technology being viable. Talking about um, windmills again, okay. And I happen to write, oh yeah, I wrote down Yellowstone. And with the climate change, uh, what's happening, what happened back in, the, if you've read, read history, back in the 1930s, they had something called the Dust Bowl. Okay, and it was a time of, of very dry weather, very warm weather. And they didn't run around talking about global warming. But uh, anyway, it went away and it got better. But when they had it, the winds kicked up and it actually blew the soil off the top. And it made these gigantic, gigantic dust clouds that just covered everything. So what if you have your solar panels out there and you have a dust storm? Well... <laughs> Again, the dust is going to scratch it when you try to wipe it off, and it's going to block the sun from hitting the photovoltaic cells. Okay. Uh, what if you have an earthquake and it knocks them off kilter? Uh, there's one little plant I was looking at. It's in Nevada somewhere. I think it's in uh, Tonopah. I used to call it Tonopah. They were calling it Tonopah. And um, it's a different kind of solar. Uh, what they do is they have this tower, and it's filled with um, plasmic salt, they called it. And they have these mirrors that collect the sun, and it focuses the sunlight on that, on that, um, uh, what are they, the molten, whatever they called it, molten salt. And um, it, uh, it heats it up, and that creates steam, and the steam powers turbines and stuff like that. Ingenious, it really is, but they ran into problems with it, and they lost funding. And so the project is, it's a beautiful little, you got to look it up. It's in uh, Tonopah, Nevada. And um, I can't remember, Nevada Power and Light had it for a while. I don't know if they still have it, but um, it was, it's, man, it's a beautiful setup. They have all the mirrors there, and they're all pointing towards this. Oh, man, it's it's gorgeous. It, it's a narcissist dream, man. <laughs> you know, flying over that place with an airplane, being a narcissist, you could look at yourself and wave at yourself and pat yourself on the back and, and everything else. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know where that came from. Um so anyway, you know, you got problems there. Now, when you have a gas engine or a diesel engine that's running things or a diesel factory or factory that runs on things that are produced by a diesel generator or whatever, 
you've got constant maintained power as long as you have fuel. Okay. But then you got some numb nuts like um, Biden comes and tears down the coal industry and puts a waiting, uh, puts a kibosh on uh, all the oil lines running. Uh, can't build anymore. No, that's dangerous. And then he uses up all the oil in the national reserves <laughs> and sells it to other countries uh, instead of giving it to us so we can use it for us. Oh, no, God forbid, you know, Biden taking care of Americans. Uh, and uh, by the way, if you're thinking about voting for Pence, look at his last interview with Tucker Carlson. He, uh, he was all worried about Ukraine, which they all are. And Tucker said, well, what about the American people? And he goes, that's not my concern. Whoa, you're going to be president? You want to be president of the United States and the people you're going to be president over aren't your concern? Man, I hope I hope he lost every last voter because of that. That guy's a snake. He really is. He just looks like a snake. He looks like Satan incarnate or something, you know? Um, that's just my opinion. All right, so let's see. Windmills are dangerous to birds. You're going to see a bird get whacked. Um, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, it looks like an eagle or something. And and uh, and also a drone. Somebody was flying a drone by one of these things. <laughs> it whacked it, too. Um, but they're dangerous for birds, especially birds of prey, like eagles and hawks that like to loiter and reconnoiter up in the air and look around for things to eat. Um, now, you got good sources. you got hydroelectric. As long, it's good as long as you have water. If you have a drought and your lakes get down to nothing, uh, like down in uh, the Hoover Dam, in that area, Lake Mead and ha Lake Havasu, yeah, forget it. Uh, oh, no, 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 dogs. Folks, I got a dog that barks everything, so I, I beg your forgiveness. I think my wife is home, and she probably sees her, and she's uh, going nutso over it. Um, okay, so hydroelectric is, is pretty viable, and it's a good source of energy, and it's plentiful, like here in the Pacific Northwest. It would be plentiful, like, uh, up in the Great Lakes states, because it rains there a lot, and especially uh, if they could somehow manage to do it down in um, the southeast, because it rains a lot there, too. Um, but it's an excellent source of power. Um, but again, drought uh, can affect it, and also uh, lack of rain if there's a, the evaporation from the sun is another thing that affects it a lot. Um, coal is plentiful. There's more coal in the United States than under the United States than anywhere in the world, actually. And a lot of people were uh, having their livelihood um, affected because the uh, because the moron in the White House decided that he wants to shut down the coal industry and go for green energy. Don't they realize that when you go into something like this, you gradually ease yourself into it. You don't just go whole hog balls out. You know, you just ease yourself into it. And I don't know. I don't think Democrats can understand that. I really don't. I think Democrats, socialists, communists, progressives, they're all the same thing anyway. Uh, they just don't understand doing something methodically. It's got to be in a crisis. And if there's no crisis, you got to make a crisis so that you can pull the people out of the crisis. It's, it's really, it's uh, Machiavellian. Think about it. Uh, 
Now, a lot of people might not agree with me here, but nuclear energy is a really viable form of energy too, as long as it's monitored correctly and um, oh, as long as it's monitored correctly and um, you know, and then people are, are really careful around it, and uh, and the rods are pulled in time after they're spent and and replaced very carefully. Um, there, are, there used to be a lot of here in California, but because of earthquakes, uh, the big one that they've never really had, uh, they closed down um, Rancho Murrieta over by Sacramento, and they closed down a couple of others too. Uh, they're trying to close down Diablo Canyon, and I hope they're not successful in doing that because that's more money has been put into. I, I know guys that work down there as pipe fitters, and for a pipe, what uh two inch pipe let's say they had a cement block this big to shore it up you know because of earthquakes i don't know okay and then uh, liberals do that too they worry about things they don't need to worry about and then uh these things never come to be and uh, you spent much more money than you should have trying to prevent something that never happened okay so coal, nuclear power. Now we're going to jump into, real quick, electric vehicles. And we're going to watch some really good videos about that. Um, problems with electric um, and se electric cars and semi-trucks, okay? You put any weight in something, even a gas engine or a diesel engine, you put gas in it or anything in excuse me you put anything in the back of it like in a 40 or 50 foot trailer maybe you're 60 um it takes a lot of energy to pull stuff it's common sense it's uh it's physics <laughs> you know um back in the old days when they had a wagon if they were going to put a lot of it instead of having one horse pull it they had two horses pull it you know because it made it easier on the horses they didn't wear out and uh, some of those tough areas that they had to get up little hills and um, through river valleys and stuff like that, they were able to get through it without any problem. Okay. All right. So weight is a problem. Headwinds. I don't know if, I don't know here. Well, down in California, we always had a lot of bad headwinds. It was terrible. But um, anytime you're driving into a headwind, it wastes gas. And, and all you can do is, like if you're going to work and you got a headwind, all you can do is hope that it keeps going so that when you go home, it kind of pushes you and you, uh, you know, you kind of make up for the deficit that you had going up. Now, another thing to remember is that electric vehicles do not really have a lot of torque. Okay. Um, gas engines or excuse me, diesel engines have tons and tons of torque, which means that uh, um, they can really get down and, um, and pull things. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. But uh, torque is a very important thing when it comes to when it comes to semis. That's why a semi's first gear is like, you know, you can go maybe two miles an hour before you shift gears because you have that torque and it's pulling all that weight, and that's a good thing. Um, okay. Headwinds. Okay, we did that. Um, with, uh, with an electric truck, when you have winds and stuff, not winds, when you have hills and uh, mountains and stuff like that it really taxes them it does it uh they're, they're fine on flat ground but when you start going over mountains and man if you live in the, the west or uh in appalachia or something like that lots of mountains and uh they don't fare so well on mountains you don't hear that but they don't um hardness okay 
less torque. They, I already talked about that. About that. Batteries wear out or go bad. Okay, you can get 300,000 miles off a diesel truck. I doubt you could get that off a battery truck. If you got 100,000 miles off a battery truck without replacing the battery, I'd really be surprised. Maybe someday, but not right now. Okay, so batteries go bad, and sometimes when they go bad, well, you'll see that later. Um, oh, here it is. Electrical vehicles tend to catch on fire. Now, if you watch something online, if you type in, like, electric vehicles fire, you're going to get every person that gets on there is going to tell you, yeah, but there's more fires with um, with regular gas and, and diesel power vehicles than there is with with, uh, uh, with electric vehicles. Well, maybe that's because for every electric vehicle, there's, like, 200 gas vehicles. So the ratio, you know, it's you're going to have more fires if you have 200 compared to one. You know, it's it's just numbers. It's uh, anybody, a school child, could figure it out. Okay, recharging batteries is expensive. I remember um, my uncle had a, um, a hybrid, and uh, he wanted to charge it at my mother's house, and I think her bill went up like $30 just the two nights that he was there charging his car. She wasn't very happy about that either. Um, but, yeah, it can be expensive, and I don't know what they charge at the, the uh, electric stations, uh, but uh, it can't be cheap. Uh, I, I can't see them letting that be cheap. Uh, I could be wrong. If I am, write, write me on. Uh, by the way, the chat line, the chat room is up, and if you're on Rumble, you can uh, write your thoughts up there. Okay. Charging takes a long time. You can drive into a gas station and... Uh, even with a big diesel pickup truck, you can drive into a gas station and fill up in five minutes. It takes uh, hours sometimes to, to charge up a truck, um, usually an hour or two to charge up a car to a full charge. So every time you drive 300 miles, you got to pull over and wait a half hour or an hour or two hours for your car to charge up. So you can go another 300 miles and then pull over. No, I'd rather put a gas in a truck uh, with a big tank in it and drive it and not stop until I get where I'm going. And that's possible, depending on how far you're going, of course. Um, okay. And here's a big one. Here's the big one. Batteries go bad. We talked about that. But replacing them is atrocious. Um, I think I heard that uh, the battery for a Tesla... If I'm not mistaken, what is it, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars to replace the battery? And that's a smaller battery pack. What about a, a diesel semi? What if the batteries go out in that? My goodness, it might cost you as much as the truck costs just to replace the batteries. I'm sorry, it's, I'm not, it's not worth it for me, and it, it's not worth it where common sense is uh, concerned either. Uh, what did I write here? Oh, okay, it was about the windmills uh, burning up in high wind. Okay, I re we already talked about that. Okay, another thing, let's go back to the uh, the solar cells. Sometimes they catch on fire. Yes, they do. They fail quite often, actually. And uh, they seem to be fragile, and they tend to crack real easy, uh, which causes them to short and to catch fire. And they catch fires for other reasons, too. Uh, there's a there's a guy online. He does a YouTube video, and it's it's quite long, so I didn't include it here. But he talks about um, all the bad things uh, when these things uh, crack and 
and what it takes to replace them and the whole nine yards. And he was showing like maybe five of the big panels and each one of them had faults in them. You could see where they were burning through the back and everything else. And I'd say, oh, I don't know. I don't want that. And then he had one guy that was, um, he got a call at work. <laughs> you better come home. Your roof is on fire. You know, the panel failed and set his roof on fire. And uh, it was the quick action of him and the fire department that I, he didn't lose his house. Okay, uh, solar cells seem to cause heat issues and cause local um, excess heating. You folks do know that the cities are hotter than the countryside, right? If you live in a city and you drive out in the country, you feel instant relief. Okay, in most cases, anyway. That was the way it was in California, anyway. Um, but, yeah, and the reason is because uh, of the hard surfaces in the city, especially asphalt. Um, anything black is going to get really hot, right? So the black rows get hot. The roofs get hot because they're dark. Uh, most, uh, I should say, most of the shingles are dark. Uh, playgrounds get hot. Everything gets hot, and that heat stays there for a while. Even after the sun goes down, it takes a longer time for the cities to cool down than it does the countryside. Well, you stick a bunch of black panels up there. What do you think is going to happen? You know, you're going to be causing a lot of heat out in the country because you're not going to put the panels in the city unless it's on top of a house or a building or something. But the big panels go out in the uh, in the country, or like if they're on top of a building, that's that's idiotic. I, I don't know. I just don't see it. I was a big proponent of uh, solar cells at one time until I researched them, and I'm like, yeah, there's no way. Um, okay, so they get hot, um, and we talked about that. Now, burning cars and trucks can start fires. An environmental hazard. Okay. You're driving along in your nice little Tesla car, your nice little whatever, Ford. Ford Lightning trucks are, <laughs> man, they're catching fire like there's no tomorrow. Uh, matter of fact, they stopped making them for a while so they could find out what was doing it and try to fix it. But if you have one now, they're not doing anything to try to fix it. So Anyway, I hope you got, have good insurance. Um, but you're driving along and all of a sudden you, oh, here, let me give you an example. Um, Back in the 80s, I was working down in the Bay Area at a place called Mare Island Shipyard. It was a Navy yard. And um, the drive home was about 40 minutes. It was down in a place called Vallejo, and I lived in a town called Vacaville. And um, it usually was a nice drive. And it was funny because it was nice and cool down in Vallejo. By the time we got to Vacaville, it was like 110 degrees. So anyway, I had a Toyota, um, not Toyota, I had a Volkswagen Beetle, a 1975 Super Beetle. And I'm driving this thing home, and I had a, a friend I was driving home to, and and um, all of a sudden I hear a bang from the back end, and he hears it too, and he turns around and he goes, "Hey, I hate to tell you this, but your car's on fire." So it was uh, it was a common thing with Volkswagens. Uh, anyway, so you um, what I did is I I didn't even think I just pulled over. I was in that fast lane, and I pulled over to the right hand side. Thank God there was no cars next to me or in back or whatever. I think they saw the fire and slowed down. Anyway, so we got out and we ran to the front and I'm like, hey, you know, the gas tank's up here. It's not back there. So we ran around the car real quick. And fire department came, beautiful fire, if as fires go. Big billows of black smoke going up near. And when it was done, the only thing that was left was the shell of the car, the springs of the seats and the rims. The engine melted, believe it or not. Um, so... But it gave me time to pull over, to park it safely, to get out and wait for the fire department to come. 
my understanding is that when these batteries start catching fire, you really don't know until that, that whole battery pack is fully involved. Okay. Hopefully you would smell it or something and, and pull over, but I've heard more than not, people just don't realize it. And then, um, all of a sudden it's, uh, it's pull over and run, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, and the car and the fires are spectacular. But the thing that's bad about it is that when an electric car burns, like with a gas or a diesel engine, they pour water on it. And yes, it, it's, envir it's envir environmentally unsafe or unsound, I should say, uh, because you're, you're mixing water with, with diesel or gas and it's going into the dirt and everything else. But, um, with a, with a, but when you spray it with um, the water, it tends to go out pretty quick. And when it's out, it's out. Okay. With a battery car, the battery doesn't necessarily stop burning. Um, matter of fact, what they're starting to do now with battery cars is they're taking dumpsters to where they are. Once the fire is more or less out, they're putting them in the dumpster and then covering them with sand and leaving them there for days or weeks because these things can spark up and start burning all over again. You'll see a, um, we, I have a video here we're going to watch, and it's the Sacramento Fire Department. Um, they pull up into a junkyard. <laughs> a car had been wrecked, I guess. And it was a Tesla, and it's out there. And the guy goes, yeah, it's a Tesla, and, and um, it just sparked up after being there for a couple of weeks. I think they said three weeks, and it started it up again. So it's, it's bad news. They really are. Um, okay, so I just spent 30 minutes uh, flapping my jaws. But um, we're, we're dealing with a, with a scientific community that's, um, that knows how to, to jerk people around. They know how to lie very well. Now, when you think of science, you know, if you think of a construction worker, he gets paid by his boss. Okay, every week, every two weeks, every month, he gets a paycheck. Or if you, I don't know, New, Jer New Jersey, you should not be able to give you checks. They gave you uh, a little pouch with the money in it. But um, in, um, so, you know, you had that, if you work in a restaurant, you know, you make your tips, but they pay you once a week or once, you know, weekly or monthly or whatever. Um, any job that you can really think of, you get paid that way, except for scientists that I know of anyway, how does, how does the money manufactured or brought up or given so that it's available to scientists? And that's done with grants and um, can't think of the other word, um, but they're gifts from the government. Now here's the way it works. Some scientist comes up and says, hey, I think I can make a, a left-handed monkey wrench that'll work. Uh, either that or widget. Let's just use the monkey wrench. A left-handed monkey wrench, that'll work. And the government says, well, you know what? Other people have tried that, and they've not been successful. But, you know, show us how you're going to do it. So he shows them, and then they're pretty impressed. And they say, okay, well, we're, we're going to give you a million dollars to do this. Uh, you give me a million dollars. You invent the left-handed monkey wrench, and then when you start getting proceeds from it, you give us money every month, and then you'll kind of pay us back for the money we gave you. Okay. So the guy does it, and he invents a successful left-handed monkey wrench. <clears throat> and he thinks to himself, <clears throat> oh, my goodness, I've, I've spent the million dollars. I don't have any money left. I've fulfilled my contract with the government. 
and I'm not going to get paid next month. So he says to himself, well, you know, what am I going to do? You know, so um, he invents, he goes back to the government and he says, uh, okay, he says, I, I've got this other idea. I'm going to invent a, a phaser gun. Okay, I've got the technology to build a phaser gun, just like on Star Trek. Okay, let's look and see what, you, what it's all about. So they look and say, yeah, you know what? You, you might have something there. Um, we're going to give you um, $2 million, and we want you to produce a, a viable working laser gun in two years, within two years' time. So he gets $2 million to spend over two years' time to make this uh, phaser gun, a right-handed phaser gun. Um, anyway, he... Uh, so he's got two years, and he pretty well knows he can do it, so he takes his time. He doesn't want to run out of money again because he learned his lesson the first time. Um, so he, you know, he'll, he'll work a little bit, go on a vacation somewhere, come back, work a little more, uh, start working on other little projects. He spends that money on that too. and um, But he always writes it off for spending it on the project that the government gave him money for because he has to account for that money. Anyway... Um, so the two years comes up, and he's, he's buffed, baffled. He's like, I thought I could do this, and I'm so close. I am so close to inventing this phaser gun. I just need some more time. So he goes to the government, and he says, look, this is what I've invented. You know, I just need uh, rubies to, to put in the gun to, to make it. And so because um, it's like a, a ruby laser. Anyway, he says, I, I need that. And as soon as I do that, then I can present you with this gun. So the government says, well, you know, we, we see that you've made a lot of progress and, and uh, really it shouldn't take you too long, but we're going to give you two more million dollars for another two years. And, and, but we, we expect results this time. So he works um, and he finishes it up in six months, has a working viable phaser gun. But he doesn't tell the government about it right away because he's got two years to do it and he's got $2 million. So he starts, he spent maybe three quarters of a million. Okay, so he's got, uh, what, uh, $1.25 million left? Yeah. Um, so he starts working on the next project that he's got. He's going to make a, he's going to make a, a sonic disruptor gun. Okay. So he's got the plans. He draws the plans up. Um, he, he does all the mathematical equations, the whole nine yards. And so after about a year and three quarters go, comes up, um, he comes up to the government and he says, well, he says, I did it. I invented it. He shows it to him, um, gives him the plans and says, yeah, this is how you make it. And I can manufacture these for you. Uh, my buddy's got a, a shop and he can manufacture uh, 200 of them a week for you and until you have all that you need. And he'll be there to repair them and everything else. So the government says, okay, we'll make a contract with your buddy and he'll do that. Okay, thank you for your service. He goes, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got plans to make a disruptor gun. Well, what's a disruptor gun? Well, it uses sound waves to, to affect your, the cells in your body. And it's quite painful, you know. It, it, theoretically, it's quite painful. So the government says, oh, really? 
well, we're interested in that. We can use that for crowd control and stuff. And, and if it's strong enough, we can use it as a weapon. But what do you think it's going to do? Well, it'll take three years. You know, this is more technical than the phaser gun was. And uh, <clears throat> so probably three years and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, $3 million. Well, that's, you know, considering you did a good job on the last gun you made, we're going to go ahead and give this to you. Okay. Give him $3 million. He's already got the plans drawn up. Um, so he, he tinkers around and for a year and he invents it. So he's got two more years. So he starts working on another project, drawing up the plans. And I don't know, I'm, I'm done with the story anyway, but you see how it works. So, but if they don't produce, they don't get money. So back in the 1960s, like from 1960, probably to 1982, I'm thinking, uh, maybe 79. Um, we were told through science, through science, <clears throat> trust the science, we're told. We were told that, uh, oh, we're, we're heading towards an ice age. We're heading towards global cooling. Um, it's going to get cold. Uh, we don't know how far the glaciers are going to come down, but they're going to start probably in two or three years. And uh, so we got to get ready for this. So you got some scientists. Um, and they come up, oh, yeah, we're going to invent this. Oh, we're going to invent this. This should stop the glaciers, this, you know, the whole nine yards. And they spend all this money. And then some climatologist, climatologist comes up in about 10 years and says, no. No, what we really need to worry about is the ozone layer because people are using chlorofluorocarbons and it's destroying the ozone. And there's this big hole above South America, uh, excuse me, above our, um, Antarctica. And it just keeps growing bigger. And if we stop using chlorofluorocarbons, then it should get better. So all of a sudden, you couldn't get spray paints or any kind of canned aerosols uh, that were worth anything. This is just the beginning anyway, um, because they got rid of the chlorofluorocarbons in it. Okay. So this went on for a little while, and I guess they started running out of money. And they said, well... You know, we were wrong, and the data that was presented to us was faulty, and, and the data now suggests that we're going into a period of global warming. So, yeah, it's, and, and Al Gore jumps on board. Oh, yeah, we're going into global warming, and, and I know these people that can invent all this stuff that would help us with global warming, and so he gets millions of dollars, so do his friends. Um and other scientists start jumping on board with this because they figure, hey, here's the next cash cow. You know, let's let's cash in on this cow. And um, so they start uh, working on this stuff. And uh, it went on for quite a while until other scientists found out, you know, it's not cooling. It's not, it's not getting hotter. It's not getting hotter. It's getting cool, as a matter of fact. And the ice, and the ice caps aren't melting. And, and, uh, in Antarctica, the ice sheet is remaining. It's a matter of fact, it's growing bigger, you know. Well, the scientists get together. Well, we can't call it global warming anymore, obviously. Let's call it climate change because that means it could go either way, okay? So now we call this thing climate change because if it's hot, we can say, hey, it's gonna, we're going into a heating period. If it's cold, well, no, it's going to cool down. Thus, you have your El Ninos and your El Ninas. Um, and it's just uh, another cash cow that the scientists can work for. They can probably get another 20 years out of global warming. 
And then it starts up a political movement. And you got these clowns like Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari and, and everybody else that, oh, yeah, well, the world's doomed. And uh, the whole problem is people. We have too many people, you know. And, well, let's think of ways the scientists start. Well, let's think of ways to start off in the people. So they come up with a syringe, uh, something called an MR, mRNA um, shot that's not really for... COVID-19, it's a, it's a kill shot. It's an assassination weapon to take out millions upon millions of people. And the effects of it will last for many years. That way we can, we can make this to help with it, make that to help with it. But at the same time, those things that we invent are going to be even more things that can take people out because we got to reduce the population like the Georgia Guidestone says we have to re reduce the population to 500 million from seven or almost 8 billion people to 500 million, 75, 7.5 billion people. We got to get rid of, well, they're doing a pretty good job of it, um, but not good enough. So only the future is going to tell us where that's going to go. But anyway, in the middle of all those things, Okay, they're not happy with uh, creating a little bit of horror or uh, a little bit of serious uh, uh, problems, troubles. So sometime in the 1980s, all of a sudden the big tuna fish scare came up. Oh, you can't eat tuna fish. It's full of mercury. Oh, yeah, that the tuna fish is terrible. You can't eat it. It's full of mercury. And, and if you eat it, your brain's going to turn to mush and... And uh, you're going to go impotent and everything else, you know, and, and you'll ultimately die. So don't eat tuna fish. Okay. About kill the fishing industry. Okay. Um, but people kept eating tuna fish and that kind of just waned and went away. And then another day, uh, a few years down the road, all of a sudden, we hear a news report. Well, scientists are warning that eating eggs could be dangerous for you because it's full of cholesterol. So people, and then the doctors start in. Oh, yeah, well, you know, your cholesterol is high. Well, you know, some people just have high cholesterol. That's all there is to it. And it doesn't affect them negatively. But because two people had heart attacks after having high cholesterol counts, that means everybody with high cholesterol is going to get a heart attack. It doesn't work that way, folks. We're all different. There's some peoples in, um, there's a, a, a city or a town in uh, Italy where the people live to be 90 and 100 years old, and they have some of the highest cholesterol rates in the world, okay? All right, I'll take that and put it in your hat for a little while. Um, okay, so, yeah, you can't eat eggs. Well, this is starting to kill the, the um, poultry industry especially chicken farmers. Um, and it did quite a bit of damage because people wouldn't eat eggs. And then um, they, I think the scientists saw that there was a little bit of a pushback or, or maybe it went higher than the scientists. Maybe it was the elites. Maybe it was the deep state or whatever. Because um, people were just eating eggs. They didn't care anymore. We got tired of the tuna fish scares and all the other little scares they had and Figured, well, you know what? If you're going to die, die with a full stomach and die happy. <laughs> anyway, um, so people started eating eggs again. They were ignoring it. Well, they, all of a sudden it was like, well, you know, it's okay. You can have two eggs a week. That's okay. 
And then some time went by and, oh, well, you know, you can eat up to five eggs a week. And then it went up to eight. I think it went up to a dozen after that. And uh, so that they realized that the people weren't being scared enough. So then they come up and they say, well, you know what? We realized it wasn't the eggs. It's the oil and the fats that you cook the eggs. And that's what's getting everybody. That's what's killing everybody. So then you could all this worry about unsaturated fats and saturated fats and everything else. And I'll tell you, uh, was it what the Democrats say? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, if you create a good crisis, then it's even better, right? Um, okay. So that having been said, okay, let's look at it's it's a video. I think it's like twelve minutes long. And it's um, five, five plus um, windmill failures. And you're going to see that these things, especially if they, they lose their governors, <laughs> you know, these things are all set to spin at a certain speed. And if the wind, like if they're set to, to, to spin at 10 miles an hour and the wind is at 12 miles an hour, well, maybe that's okay. But if the wind gets up to 20 or 30 miles an hour, Sometimes these things just spin faster and faster. And when they do that, because uh, the governor fails or whatever, um, they start developing what's called friction and heat. And the heat builds up and then it turns into very, it starts getting, uh, you know, very dull color red, then a hotter red. And then, uh, then it turns white hot and then it starts a fire. And then this thing is whipping around smoke rings and everything else. If, if you are into watching fires. I know some people are. Doesn't mean you're a pyromaniac, but uh, there's something about fire that captivates the human. Um, uh, you'll like these windmill fires. <laughs> They're really good. And then we're going to watch a couple of videos of uh, um, solar panel fires and then something about cars and trucks and stuff like that. So uh, the sooner we get started, the sooner we're finished. So let's go ahead and watch the windmill one, okay, shall we? Welcome back to Top 5s. Today we're doing the Top 5 Wind Turbine Fails and Mishaps.
Here's a few more fails that didn't quite make the list. Mm -hmm. 
கண்ணு கிட்ட வச்சு பாருங்க கம்பில பட்டு இப்ப உடைய போது
Sure to subscribe for more and check sure out. Sure did. <laughs> oh man! You know, if the things are viable and they worked really good and everything, I would not be laughing about this. Um, but again, this is something that they're trying to shove down our throats, and I'm not too crazy about that. Um, I would rather stick with the old technology. And, you know, they talk about, oh, you know, the the diesel fumes going up in the air. It's air pollution. It's, uh, they call that a footprint. And, uh, oh, this and that. These people obviously weren't around in the 1960s when, when uh, rivers were catching on fire because they were so polluted. And the air in just about every city was bad. Um you know, nowadays, uh, you can see the San Gabriel Mountains a lot more nowadays than you could back in the 80s or even the 70s, you know, down in Los Angeles. And things have gotten so much better. People just don't realize it, you know, and they, they put started putting catalytic converters on cars and it, it changed what the exhaust was. It's not as dangerous as it used to be. They got rid of the leaded gasoline so cars aren't spewing, spewing lead out of their tailpipes. You know, it's, the air is much cleaner than it used to be, and it, it's getting better, too. I think it's the first time in, in decades that people can actually catch and eat fish out of the Hudson River back in uh, New York. You know, the river's clean. It used to be filthy. Um, so it's, if things are getting better, another, if something's not broken, why fix it? You know, I, I don't get it. Um I just don't get it. I really don't. Uh, look at Mexico City. They've been putting up with air pollution for a long time. And you know what their solution is? It's it's quite good, actually. Is Depending on what your the last number of your license plate is, it, that means if you get to drive on even days or odd days. Okay? Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. It really does. It doesn't make sense for people that got to commute to go to work. But if you realize that Mexico City is full of taxis and trains, and and the taxis are, you know, you could you could drive, have a taxi take you 30 miles out of town, and he only charges you 10 bucks. You know, it's, um, and that's where all the uh, they take all the VW old VW bugs to to die. <laughs> all the taxis down there are VW bugs, or most of them. Okay, let's uh, real quick, and because I forgot, I've got a couple of pages I want to look at too. But um, let's look at the next uh, videos are kind of fast or not as long. So let's look at this. Uh, there's a little fire at a um, solar farm, and um, it's nothing I would want to mess with. But it just goes to show you that uh, even the slightest little arc, electric arc, can start a uh, the solar fire. Here we go.
over again. Okay. That sounded quite dangerous, didn't it? I wouldn't want to approach that. And imagine if the ground was wet. Oh my goodness. But um, yeah, it it caught those uh, panels on fire, and if it kept going, it would it would be pretty serious, pretty bad. Uh, as we'll see in the next video, when the panels on top of an Amazon warehouse decided to catch on fire, I don't think we'll see the fire, but you'll hear about what it did. Okay. So let's watch this and see what's going on. The fire that destroyed solar panels at an Amazon warehouse in Fresno turned out to be the first of several for the company across the country. So many, Amazon decided to reinspect every single installation. The panels are now back online, but if this happened to the mega cyber retailer, how safe are the installations on average homes? Fox 26 reporter Liz Gonzalez asked experts who carry out safety testing and inspections on the panels and explains how Amazon wasn't the only retailer to experience this issue with its solar power systems. Things are up and running at this Amazon Fulfillment Center in South Fresno, not just inside as workers fill orders, but on the roof as a solar installation and others across the country are online once again. Amazon shut down all of them for a safety review. And this is what set things off. April 14th, 2020, flames shot out from the solar system on the warehouse's rooftop. An incident report obtained by Fox 26 News shows the initial call to Fresno firefighters was 20 solar panels on fire. But Fresno City and County firefighters weren't able to attack those flames right away. Solar panels are unique because you can't just shut them off like a light switch and they go off. It takes them time to uh, de-energize. The wait, five minutes. Crucial when every second counts. Uh, crews were able to extinguish those flames quickly. The damage, 220 solar panels, equipment and roofing materials. The cause, according to the investigation report, an undetermined electrical event within the solar system. Amazon went on to have at least five more similar events over the next 14 months, and it wasn't alone. A lawsuit filed by Walmart, which has since been settled, blamed no fewer than seven fires on Tesla solar systems. This fire in India was among the biggest, with a damage estimated at $1 million. As bad as it is to have situations like these with um, large incidents, it does end up having positive benefits in the future because these often end up in improved uh, quality standards or installation practice standards. Crystalline is with Enroll, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, which researches and carries out testing on panels. We were doing a survey of uh, modules in the field and we found less than 0.05% had module defects or needed warranty claims on them. Solar panels, when they're operating correctly, can be really safe on your rooftop. DeLine says panels aren't usually the problem. In a lot of cases, root causes have turned up either um, incorrect crimping or methods of, of doing the installation, or perhaps trying to save a little bit on cost and using uh, incompatible um, connectors. So in some cases, you know, it can be traced down to wrong choice of parts or um, frankly, sloppy workmanship. And that's where an independent home inspector can make the difference. If you have the inspector come early in the installation, the contractor is going to be um, on his toes and doing his best work, knowing that you've 
taken the time and money and energy to hire a third-party inspector to look over his shoulder. Nick Gromyko is the founder of the International Association of Certified Home Inspectors. The association's members complete about 55 million inspections a year. The quality control on a solar panel is very good. It comes out of a factory. But the installation doesn't come out of a factory. The installation is, um, can be different from house to house. He says a third-party inspection can run anywhere from about $150 to $200. You could be eating dinner and not know that you've lost your entire roof until a neighbor comes over and tells you. Um, so there is some risk to having these systems on top of roofs, and uh, you should do what you can to mitigate those risks, especially since the cost to mitigate those risks are very small. DeLine says you can limit that risk by really doing your research. Get a number of different quotes um, when you're trying to get a, a solar installation um, picked out. Um, finding a local installer that can stand by their business that's been around for a while also helps a lot. In a statement, an Amazon spokesperson said the cyber giant has since built a, quote, team of dedicated solar experts to oversee the construction operations and maintenance of our systems in-house to ensure the safety of our systems. It continues to work toward its goal to power its operations with 100% renewable energy by 2025. So far, it's at 85%. Liz Gonzalez, Fox 26 News. A whistleblower who previously worked at Tesla accused the company of intentionally failing to okay. disclose. We've gotten everything we need to get out of that article. Um, pretty interesting, huh? I think it is. Uh, they're blaming it on the installation, not on the panels. Well, <laughs> I've watched a lot of other videos where they blamed it on poor panels. And um, I think they said like 54% of the panels are built in China. Um, now, do with that information what you will okay uh, you guys can have an opinion about that i've already got one i need to share it okay the last video we're going to watch before we move on to the two articles um is the sacramento fire, <clears throat> fire department pulling up to a junkyard where a um uh, where a uh, a tesla that was in an accident several weeks before had been sitting and all of a sudden it just lit up so Let's watch this. Oh, it is a Tesla. short video short and sweet oh my goodness oh yeah i almost forgot we got the ship fire um currently happening uh, off of the coast of uh Den not denmark um 
Ah, that little country next to it. East of Denmark, let's put it that way. <laughs> Netherlands, the Netherlands, Holland. Uh, a car or a ship filled with cars. It was taking them to, uh, I think, um, it's one of the Southeast Asian countries. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, taking them there, and uh, they thought they only had 12 electric cars on there, and come to find out that they had more like 200. And uh, one of them, I guess, sparked and uh, set everything else on fire. Um, the ship is a total loss, and uh, I don't even know if it's still floating. It was, it's, this thing is still burning, and there's nothing they can do about it. Can't pour water on it, because if you pour water on the ship, it sink the ship. Uh, and uh, so they're trying to figure out where to tow it, um, and, you know, where they can work on it, but... Uh, I don't know if you could sink the ship and then take the metal from it to uh, a salvage. That'd probably be the best thing to do. Anyway, this this is a radio station or a television station. It's a very short video. Here we go. A major fire broke out on board a cargo vessel carrying nearly 3,000 cars off the Netherlands coast earlier this week. An Indian crew member was killed and 20 others were injured. The cargo vessel was carrying nearly 3,000 cars. Salvage crews are still battling the inferno. On Tuesday evening, the fire broke out on the 199-meter Panama-registered Fremantle Highway, and several crew members were forced to jump overboard. The Indian Embassy in the Netherlands confirmed in a social media post the fire had resulted in the death of an Indian national. The embassy said it was in touch with the family of the deceased and is assisting in the repatriation of the mortal remains. Rescue boats and helicopters were used to rescue the remaining crew members off the ship after some had jumped into the water. The Panamanian flag cargo ship was sailing from the German port of Bremerhaven to Singapore. 199-meter Fremantle Highway caught fire shortly before midnight on Tuesday, sparking fears of an environmental disaster. Pictures show plumes of grey smoke emitting from the ship amid fears the vessel could sink 27 kilometres north of an iconic Dutch island. Worryingly, Emland off the Warren Sea is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is considered one of the most important regions for migratory birds in the world. Thousands of cars aboard the burning vessel still remain at risk of being incinerated. Now, flames and smoke subsided enough for salvage experts to board the ship for the first time on Friday. It took them almost four days. They were finally able to establish a strong towing connection with a tugboat. However, this can only be done once conditions on board allow so. This as the Dutch government is still mulling over which port to send the vessel to. The cause of the fire is yet to be ascertained. I don't know if you could see it, but that the, the metal on the outside of that ship was basically gone all the way down almost to the waterline. So it's uh, they have to treat it gingerly or that thing is going to sink. And uh, 
they're probably looking for a port that's um, where they can work on it, and that if it does sink, they can get uh, scrap it real easy. So uh, anyway, um, okay, real quick, uh, I was uh, I finally started paying for a subscription to the Epic Times. I see so many other people using it, and um, I figured, well, you know, it's was it only like a dollar a month or something like that, or a week? And uh, I, th I think that's affordable. But anyway, there was an, uh, an article in there today. It says, exclusive, we are totally awash in pseudoscience, Nobel Prize-winning physicist on climate agenda. Okay, it's got a picture. It says, a man walks past the International Monetary Fund logo uh, at its headquarters in Washington on May 10th, 2018. And this article was written by Nathan War. Uh, Worcester, uh, published on July 29, 2023, and it was updated on uh, August 1st, 2023. All right, Let's see how fast I can get through this. Uh, Nobel Prize winning physicist John Clauser uh, isn't afraid to go against the flow. In July 26th interview with the Epic Times, Mr. Clauser explained that he carried out his early research on quantum mechanics against opposition from some in the field. As a young man, he conducted the first experiment to demonstrate the reality of non-local quantum entanglement, the, the linkage between multiple particles across any physical distance. Many years later, that groundbreaking work earned him one-third of a 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics. Today, the 80-year-old scientist is up against another establishment. This time, though, he is, he's, isn't violating a prediction so as to rule out an alternative explanation to quantum mechanics. He's violating a taboo that has been slowly but surely becoming one of the biggest science, uh, biggest science and politics. I am, I guess, what you would call a climate change denialist, Mr. Clauser told the Epoch Times. His training in science makes him a little bit different from some others, he said. Uh, the physicist who won one-third of the Wolf Prize versus quantum physics mechanics uh, contributions uh, shared some of the views on climate, uh, climate uh, during a recent speech in South Korea soon after his election to the CO2 Coalition's Board of Directors. Dangerous misinformation. I believe that the climate change is not a crisis, uh, Mr. Clausier told the audience at a Quantum Korea 2023. He also described the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, as one of the worst sources of dangerous misinformation. <laughs> I like this guy already. Uh, Mr. Clauser elaborated further on his views in his interview with the Epic Times. Contra, the IPCC, and other major institutions, he argues that uh, climate is primarily set by what he refers to as the cloud cover thermostat, a, a self-regulating process where about, whereby most clouds um, start to enshroud the earth uh, when the temperature is too high and vice versa. Although he accepts observations shown that atmospheric carbon dioxide is increasing, he said he believes that the gas effect on heat transfer is swamped by a great natural cloud cycle. The carbon dioxide may or may not be made by human beings, Mr. Klosser said. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. The physicist says he believes that the objective science on climate 
has been sacrificed to politics. His the preeminence of yeah, preeminence um, of politics is all the worse. He said, because so many so much money already has gone to climate initiatives. We're talking about trillions of dollars. He said, adding that powerful people don't want to hear that they've made trillion dollar mistakes. Concerns about such mistakes may have been relevant after Mr. Clauser was stated to speak before the UN International Monetary Fund, the IMF, in July of 25th. In recent years, the International Economic Monetary Agency has focused heavily on the climate. Officials have laid particular stress on uh, international carbon taxes. The latest IMF uh, analysis finds that Large emitting countries need to introduce a carbon tax that raises quickly to $75 a ton in 2030, uh, the agency's website on climate migration states, or excuse me, mitigation states. Uh, Just days before his talk was to take place, the Nobel laureate received alarming news. Mr. Klosser told the Epic Times that he had received an email indicating that the IMF's Independent Evaluation Office, the IEO, Director Pablo Marino didn't want to talk to go forward that day. In an email, the IEO senior official told the Epic Times that Mr. Clauser's speech has been postponed or to reorganize it uh, into a panel discussion. We're working to reschedule it after the summer, the official wrote. No new date set. For now, no new date has been set. Mr. Klosser pointed out that a past attempt at a vigorous, transparent debate over climate change, namely the red team, blue team exercise, ultimately scuttled during the Trump administration when Environmental Protection Agency Director Scott Pruitt sought to carry out the exercise. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly reported the, reportedly shot the idea down in the eyes of some observers, um, the stated postponement looks more like a straightforward cancellation. Dr. John Clauser, a Nobel recipient for physics 2022 and board member of the CO2 coalition, has been summarily canceled as a, as a confirmed speaker on July 25th at the International Monetary Fund. They say his speech is postponed. Don't hold your breath. Patrick Moore, a co-founder of Greenpeace and high-profile climate skeptic, wrote on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Mr. Moore is a former chairman of the CO2 coalition. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Anon, you must not question the science, even if you have a Nobel Peace Laureate. Uh, Joshua Steinman, a cybersecurity entrepreneur who served on the Trump administration, National Security Council wrote on X, if the IMF IEO re-invites Mr. Clauser, his remarks could make bigger splash than his initially scheduled talk. Like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., however, Mr. Clauser may find it hard to get his message out there if the opposition remains sufficiently entrenched. For now, the physicist doesn't need, doesn't sound likely to yield. We are totally awash in pseudoscience, he told the Epic Times. So there you go. Proven that pseudoscience or the green stuff is uh, is not science. It's a political movement. Okay, 
let's see. The next one is a very short article. It's from the Pitt News. Um, and I think it's the it's like a Pittsburgh University. Let's see. Um, yeah, it's 22 grad stuff, housing guide. Yeah, it's from a college, it looks like. Um, opinion, that the been debunking the green energy illusion. And it's got a picture of a windmill. Actually, it's a drawing. It's... Uh, that can't be real. Um, okay, by Dahlia Maroff, uh, uh, staff columnist, September 15, 2020. Climate change is at the center of everyone's attention nowadays with California's sky burning orange. One solution is dominating the, conversa is dominating the conversation of fixing our planet's climate, green energy. Green energy means the transition away from fossil fuels that rely on cleaner ways of generating energy without releasing greenhouse gases into the air. Solar and wind energy seem to be the pioneering the green energy effort, but how green are they really? We all know fossil fuels are bad. If you lived in Pittsburgh even 20 or 30 years ago, you'd remember the buildings were black with soot, steel mills and cokes were burning coal, and belching the smoke into the air. The lungs of our nation's industrial cities are still choking on carbon dioxide. Pittsburgh has the eighth worst air pollution or particle pollution in the nation with asthma rates nearly three times that of the national average. The Allegheny County is, um, yeah, and Allegheny County is in the top 2% of all U.S. counties with cancer risk. Uh, many alternatives to fossil fuels have been tested and researched. One example is biofuel, the mass deforestation and burning of trees for electricity. The flaw here is evident. Beyond cutting down one of the best defenses against the warming of the planet, it still releases an astronomical amount of carbon dioxide into the air. Our more popular solutions may not be as green, sustainable, or renewable as we might have hoped either. Solar panels and windmills dominate the uh, clean energy scene and are actually doing much more harm to the environment than we might think. Green energy is not the solution to climate change and never was. It does not have the strength to ever compete, ever completely replace fossil fuels, but nuclear energy does. As of 2019, 65% of Germany's energy was powered by renewable energy sources and 48% of that came from wind turbines. Each wind turbine requires about 230 tons of steel, and steel making requires a very large amount of coal. As of, num as of numbers of, from 2016, if the world were to have 25% of the power come completely from wind turbines, we need 450 million metric tons of steel and the fossil fuel equivalent of 600 million metric tons of coal. Moreover, all the electricity that the wind turbines produce is intermittent. Uh, while, it while its production, installation, and maintenance are rely heavily on fossil fuels. Solar panels also have a significant carbon footprint. Most solar panels today are made from quartz, which has to be mined before going through an extensive heating process fueled by coal, then turned into pure form called polysilicone. Uh, this generates up to four tons of tetrachloride waste for every one ton of polysilicone produced. Tetrachloride is toxic chemical that when, produced, uh, when introduced to water can create hydrochloric acid, 
which is extremely dangerous to both humans and the environment. The inclusion of extremely toxic chemicals is found in almost every step of the production process of solar panels. Today, nearly half of the world's photovoltaics are made in China, uh, which has looser laws on the production of its workers and the environment. Uh, the Silicon Valley Toxic Coalition has been tracking the environmental impacts of the industry since 1982. While it was created to have more transparency in the pollution, or excuse me, the publication industry, it seems to have done the opposite as it allows companies to self-report uh, the amounts of, of, of toxins and waste that are expelled. According to the coalition, the amount of companies willing to provide uh, these numbers has been declining, especially among generic brand companies from China. A study released in 2014 by Northwestern University and Argonne National Laboratory found that the carbon footprint of a solar panel made in China is twice that of one made in Europe due to looser environmental restrictions and more coal-fired power plants. So what's the answer? Do we have a hope for saving our planet while still being able to continue our electricity-powered lives? It seems that the solution is nuclear, the only type of energy with, any, with entirely containable emission. Solar farms require about 17 times more materials than nuclear plants do, and nuclear pro produces four times less carbon emissions uh, than solar panels do. The shift uh, from matter dense and intermittent fuels such as fossil fuels, solar and wind, to an energy dense fuel such as nuclear is what our climate needs to heal. Coupled with less solar and wind uh, to an energy dense uh, fuel such as nuclear is what our climate needs to heal. I read that already. Coupled with less consumption, in the long run, it is much cheaper uses less resources and expels less into the environment. The issue of intermittent seems to be, seems constantly to come up uh, dealing with green energy. The sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. That means that our solar panels and, tur and turbines will work optimally. For them to work optimally, they need to be installed in mass altogether in one place as solar and wind farms. This is the most effective way for us to create renewable energy. But while these energy for farms may help the climate, they are not so helpful to our environment as to cause habitat fragmentation, displacement, and destruction. Deserts, a very necessary biome in our biosphere, are often used for solar farms. Plants and animals are no longer able to inhabit the area and are forced to move on or die. Ivanpah, one of the uh, California's biggest solar farms, takes 450 times more land than California's last nuclear power plant, Diablo Canyon, to produce the same amount of energy. Michael Schellenberger, an American author and environmental activist, put it best: "If an effort to try to, if an effort, an effort to try to save the climate, we are destroying our environment." The most shocking part of all of this is physics. Uh, these green energy solutions uh, that were being sold do not actually have the energy able to ever compete and replace fossil fuels. The physics uh, boundary of silicon photovoltaic panels, the Shockley-Quessier limit, is a maximum conversion of 34% of photons into electrons. 
The best uh, commercial technology today exceeds 26%. Wind power technology also has flaws in physics. The boundary of for wind turbine, the BETS limit, is uh, well is a manufacturer capture of 60% of kinetic energy in moving air. Commercial turbines today exceed 40%. But nuclear power ends up being more reliable when it comes to generating power consistently and generating enough of it to be able to completely and efficiently fossil fuel to be able to completely and efficiently replace fossil fuels while reducing our energy footprint. We've been living in a world that hasn't put the climate or environment first for hundreds of years. Our science needs to go towards a clean energy that is actually clean, not just branded as such for profit. Soon enough, deserts will be covered with solar panels instead of cacti and tops of mountains will have wind turbines instead of trees. We need to change that now um, that it is effective most, excuse me. We need change now that is effective almost immediately, not plans to switch to green energy by 2030, which is too late. Uh, Dahlia Madoff was, writes primary articles uh, about issues and psychology, education, culture, and environmentalism. Write to her at DAM, D-A-M, uh, 291 at pit.edu. Okay, so folks, there you have it. There's a lot of intensity going on here with all this. Uh, and, uh, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer, she says, is nuclear. And I, I totally agree, but it's also um, uh, water energy, hydroelectric, and other, uh, other clean things that are productive. And like she said, uh, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So those two energy sources are for losers and are losers. And they're just something to, it's, it's kind of like a, um, a nice wrapping on, um, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here, uh, a nice wrapping on um, a, uh, a poop pie, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I can't, sorry, I couldn't think of anything else to say about that. But um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a Band-Aid on, uh, on a gaping wound that's not going to heal, let it heal properly. So um, until we can get some common sense and people are into this for saving the environment and the earth, and I can't believe I'm talking this way, um, instead of making money, then, uh, then the whole thing's focus. Uh, but hopefully um, some good people will get in there and try to affect change in a sane and, and um, moral way, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think we'll ever be uh, rid of uh, gas and diesel engines. And I don't think, I think that diesel is just the answer for moving things in trains and in, in trucks. It's just the answer. Sorry, but it is. Uh, clean up the technology a little bit if you want to do something and my goodness with cars you basically clean them up all you can um, take a look at an, uh, a car engine from 1967 and a car engine from uh, this year 1967 you could see the ground all around the engine there's there was nothing in there granted those cars were gross polluters but uh, uh, as time went on uh, 1973 is when the big change came to unleaded and and everything and um, that's when things really started to go downhill for performance but um, anyway so and it's not like people haven't been trying okay it's 
Um, and as much as I don't like environmentalists, they have helped to affect change. Um, but uh, that, that's a whole other story. So, folks, I presented it all to you. Um, you know, if you feel like it, give me a holler. Um, write to me <laughs> and let me know what you think. So, uh, until we meet again on Thursday, I, I hope and pray that you guys have a wonderful Wednesday tomorrow and and that your day on Thursday is awesome. Um, I will be back uh, 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon and uh, with another subject. Uh, I don't know what yet, but we'll figure that out. Okay? Okay, folks, you have a wonderful, wonderful uh, night and day tomorrow, okay? And if anybody... I'm looking at myself. It's a delay of about 10 seconds. Um, and I'm like this. I do not have neck problems. It's my way of resting. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to rise upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh watch your going out and coming in. You're rising up and you're lying down. May Yahweh give you the peace that passes all understanding. May he fill you with his Holy Spirit to give you discernment spiritual strength, knowledge, and hope. In the mighty and precious name of Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, good night, folks. God bless or good afternoon.